Now let's go to the scripture reading for today. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses uh, 4 through 14. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent up to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews, and... Uh, Remember that the author of Hebrews is writing this letter to the Jewish Christians, his audience, for uh, a concern that he's had. Um, and that concern is how uh, the Jewish Christians have been going back to uh, the Old Covenant um, and practice of temple worship and uh, going back to uh, ceremonial laws and sacrificial laws that he says Christ has fulfilled and has now passed away. Um, and the bigger concern there is really uh, that because of that, they're missing out on something, something huge, and that is Christ. By being impressed with those things, uh, they're missing out on the supremacy of Christ, how Christ is better than all those things. And today, uh, in this passage, he hones in on uh, the, the topic of angels because there was a certain fascination here uh, among the Jewish Christians with angels. And uh, that's maybe parallel to our culture today in a sense. Um, there's still TV shows and uh, movies and literature that are very fascinated with angels, angelic beings, demons, and the, the battle that they have between one and the two of them. But back then, the, the fascination with angels was even greater uh, among the Jews because uh, in the Old Testament, angels play a, a fascinating role. Um, and they, they were incredibly impressive beings. They, in, in Acts 7, it says the angels were uh, deliverers of God's word, God's law, uh, the Torah itself. Um, and we see in Isaiah 6 just how close uh, they are to the throne of God, to His majesty. Um, how they were literally at the train of His robe and uh, beholding God. Um, but because of how majestic God is, they had to cover their faces, and yet they were close, they were near. And we also see uh, whenever angels appear uh, in front of people, uh, they always say, fear not. And why would they say that? Because people feared. They were terrified of the sight of angels, um, how brilliantly bright they were, how uh, supernatural they were, um, and glorious they were. Uh, people were fearful of angels. So there was this cer certain obsession uh, with angels during this time. And um, 
uh, it led to a point, uh, as implied in our passage, even to some people worshiping angels, um, praying to angels and praising angels and so on. And so uh, the author of Hebrews is honing in on this issue and drawing them back to the focus on Christ. You need to focus on Jesus. And uh, here's kind of how he, he goes about it. I, I think uh, we can look at it in three different points. And here's the outline for today. We can look at uh, where we look for Jesus, what it means to look to Jesus, and uh, we can close by thinking about why this matters to us today. So let's go to point number one, um, where we look for Jesus. And notice here how the author uh, draws his readers' attention to Jesus simply by pointing them to the scriptures. The whole chapter essentially is him quoting the Old Testament scriptures, and that's important. Um, because he understands, as a Jew himself, the, the elevation of the Old Testament scriptures in the mind of the Jewish audience. And he's using the source that they would uh, esteem the highest. And he's saying, hey, if you honor the scriptures, if you honor the Torah, and when we open it up, here's what you find, Christ. Not, not the supremacy of angels, but of Christ. And that's where we should focus on. And this is where we can draw another very important principle when it comes to uh, just understanding the entirety of the Bible, actually. And that is that all of the scriptures ought to be uh, read and understood through the lens of Christ, a Christ-centered lens, because he is either concealed in the pages of scripture or revealed in the pages of scripture but ultimately all of the bible is about jesus remember when jesus was on the road to emmaus and he encounters or the two disciples of him encounters jesus and here's what jesus says to them these are my words that i spoke to you while i was still with you that everything written about me in the law of moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled and then it says beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself so when you put you know, one and two together, what that's really saying is all of the Bible is about Jesus because he's explaining to them how it's, it's all testifying concerning him and how he has come to fulfill it all. And so continuing from uh, last week's message, um, the Old Testament is really an incomplete uh, picture on its own until we see how Jesus fulfills it all, how Jesus brings into realization and how he's bringing the answer to the question that the Old Testament is raising. And so this is a principle we have to keep in mind when we look at the Bible. Uh, at any given point, uh, we need to look for Jesus in the Bible. The Bible is about him. That's the primary reason we should open up our Bibles. Um, some people like to open up, our, open up the Bible because uh, they see it as a guidebook, sort of a self-help book towards life. Um, and when they're perhaps stuck in a certain season, they want to look to the Bible and get them through those seasons. Well, the Bible can have that effect. I mean, after all, it is God's truth. But uh, that's not the ultimate purpose of the Bible. And because that isn't the purpose of the Bible, sometimes we feel a lack of motivation in turning to the Bible um, because we can turn to other things. For advice, we, we're tempted to turn to our own wisdom, our own knowledge, or what the world considers conventional wisdom. Uh, and we, we fall short of turning to the scriptures. Why? Because uh, the scripture is about turning to Jesus. The scripture is about being impressed with Jesus and seeing his superiority, his majesty, his beauty above all things. 
And that ought to be our purpose in turning to the scriptures. Uh, now, just as in during, during this time, the Jewish Christians were fascinated with angels uh, and turning away from Christ, we can likewise turn to other biblical matters, okay, uh, that are theologically true, that are important, but let that become too much of a fascination and fixation that it deters us from drawing nearer to Christ. And this is something important that we have to keep in mind. Just because something is biblical or theological, it doesn't mean it should take up all of your attention. There is a danger, uh, even in theology, even in biblical studies, uh, that can take you away from the primary thing, and that is Christ. Uh, for some people, the, that focus can be Reformed theology or the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism. Uh, for some other people, it's about denominations. For some other people, it's about the views of the end times and the symbolism in Revelation. And for some other people, it's about politics and social issues and how the Bible addresses those things or gender issues. For some other people, it's about style of worship. The list goes on and on. And these are not unimportant. I mean, these are things that I, I, love, I would love to discuss with you. And maybe we can discuss this during coffee hour today. But here's the point. If, um, if any of these issues or if all of these issues uh, distract us from focusing on Christ and drawing nearer and nearer to Christ, we are not understanding the first thing the Bible is trying to tell us. We're not understanding the first thing that the Bible is trying to help us see, and that is the supremacy of Christ, how he is better than all things, and how he should really, uh, how he warrants all of our attention. So the point of opening of the Bible is to find him there. That's where we find him. And you know why else this matters? Um, this should remind us that we should not open up our Bible simply to get the answers to the questions we want, but to get the questions that God wants us to ask and the answers he wants to give us to those questions. Um, we can't simply use the Bible to get God to help us along uh, in our pursuit of our dreams and our goals. Um, that is not what the Bible is here for. The Bible is here to do, in a way, the opposite thing. To take us away from ourselves and our own agendas, to draw us closer to His. Understanding what it really means to seek God's kingdom and His righteousness first. To seek His kingdom, part of that means surrendering our own, abandoning our own, leaving our own kingdom, and pursuing His. That's what it means to carry our cross, deny ourselves, and to follow Jesus. The Bible is here to help us do that. And I wonder if you are ready to do that. Um, the season is now, the time is now to seek after God this way. And we have to be willing to do that. Um, there is no nearness to God. There is no enjoyment of God unless we're willing to encounter God for who He is and not for only just what God can do for us. Here's how Tim Keller put it. God doesn't tell Moses, tell them, I am what you want. He says, tell them, I am what I am. Are you ready to, to meet God for who He is, for the great I am that He is, and not simply for how He can fix your problems and help you advance in your career, how He can help you find the one and get married, um, how He can solve your problems, heal your diseases, uh, and deal with your financial problems. 
God is able to lead us out of all these things. And one day, uh, the promise of God is that he will wipe away all our problems. But see, that's just, that's just icing on the cake. Uh, the primary blessing that God wants to give us is his son. It's Jesus, the Christ. Uh, it's the nearness of him and the, and, the, and the gaining of him as our reward that should be our primary focus. And that's what the Bible wants to show us today. And I believe whenever we open the Bible, that should be our goal. Otherwise, we miss what the Bible is trying to tell us. Um, that's where we look to look for Jesus in the scriptures. And, and this, is, this leads us to the second point. What does that mean? Uh, to look to him. If we find him, we see him, and we hold on to him, what does that mean ultimately? And here's how the author helps his readers understand this more. He presents seven proof texts uh, to point them to the supremacy and the superiority of Christ over the angels. Um, and seven, as you know, is a biblical number, uh, meaning representing completion. And when you look at the Bible, when it comes to completion, uh, the Bible is very clear. God wants the completion of his people's joy. He wants to complete your joy. And so when you understand the, the purpose here, the real heart behind the author is really to help the church, help the believers come to the fullness of joy that God wants them to experience. Um, this is in a sense to, to free us from the number one or number twos or even the zero level of joy but to bring us to seven the completion of our joy um, that's what this means looking to jesus it means our enjoyment of him uh, take a look first the author says in verse five for to which of the angels did god ever say you are my son today i have begotten you or again i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son now, the focus here is on Jesus' divine sonship, and, and he's talking about his eternal uh, sonship here. Um, and you might be wondering, why does it say, today I have begotten you? Does that, does that mean Jesus was a created being? And, and when you look at the Bible, the answer is clearly no. Jesus was an uncreated being, eternally the Son of God. So what does this mean? Uh, this is referring to an ancient practice in ancient families where uh, the son in the family, who's always the son, uh, comes to the point uh, where he comes of age and becomes the son who inherits his father's possessions and uh, takes the father's position in the family, um, the power of authority and the power of um, uh, the, the glory that uh, all the material possessions represent, the son gains from the father. And that's used metaphorically here to represent how Jesus, the son of God, uh, will sit on the throne of God on a certain day and what is that day it's the day of his resurrection and ascension uh, when he went to be with his father and was seated at the right hand of god now when it comes to the angels however um, as close as they were to the throne of god they were never able to sit on the throne of god uh, they fell at the throne of god and worshiped him and that's why he says in verse six and again when he brings a firstborn into the world he says let all god's angels worship him who's him that's jesus the, the angels that you so admire worshiped Jesus. Shouldn't you be more impressed with Jesus is the point of the author here. Nothing says who is superior to another person than being worshiped by that person. This reminds me of the, 
uh, a, a little statement that Kobe Bryant made when um, this whole debate, I mean, it's still going on. Who's the greatest of all time, Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan? Um, Kobe Bryant said, this whole debate is silly to me because everything I do, I'm emulating and imitating Michael Jordan. In other words, he's looking up to him. He's admiring him. Uh, Michael Jordan is, is greatest of all time in his book. So how much more should we admire MJ as the greatest of all time? That's just a little uh, analogy I like to use to, to describe this. You know, the, the angels that you so admire, they admire Jesus. Shouldn't you look to him more? Um, remember in Isaiah 6, uh, again, the, the angels were so captivated by the, the majesty of Christ that they were willing to draw as close to him as possible. And yet because of how terrifyingly awesome Jesus was, they had to cover their face and their feet. Yet they just could not bear to not be there with him. They loved the nearness of Christ. They were in awe of Christ. They were in fear of Christ, just the way that people were in fear of the presence of the angels. Again, the author of Hebrews is pointing us to the supremacy of Christ so that we would desire him more above uh, the angels, above other things that may captivate us or impress us. Jesus ought to be the object of our joy. And the, the more significant application of this perhaps is, do you know that this is the point of our worship? That the point of our worship is to enjoy Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not to check off some list of you know religious duties it's not just to go through the motions it is for our enjoyment of christ it is for our joy to reach seven uh, it is to make our joy complete now why do we struggle with this um i think one reason is because we don't keep the sabbath day holy the way the bible commands us to keep it holy uh, we tend to keep the Sabbath hour holy, like the hour of worship, but other than that, we don't keep the rest of the Sabbath day holy. Now, I uh, just want to remind you of what the Catechism teaches us about taking delight in recreation. Um, if that recreational activity is all about your enjoyment but forgetfulness of Christ, that is not keeping the Sabbath day holy. But if that recreational activity, whether that's with a brother and, brothers and sisters in Christ, with your family members, or even on your own, Whatever you do, if it heightens your enjoyment of Christ and your fellowship with Him, that recreation is, is Sabbath rest. That counts as Sabbath rest. But a lot of times I think we uh, choose to indulge in things that perhaps lead us to be forgetful um, of how to delight in Christ and what that means. And so I want to encourage you guys to, to discuss that, think through that, and we can talk about this during coffee hour if you like, if you need clarification on this. How can we recreate or uh, practice rest that will actually heighten our enjoyment of Christ, our sensitivity to Him, and our, deepen our fellowship uh, with Him? Sabbath is one reason. The other reason why we, I think, fall short of enjoying Christ for all that He is is because um, we fall short of uh, uh, reaching that desire, the level of desire uh, they can only find God as our fulfillment. In other words, we're too complacent. Uh, our desires are too small and we're too far too easily pleased. Uh, we are okay with the ones and twos that ultimately lead us back to zero. And we're content with not having a seven level of joy. And this is what C.S. Lewis said uh, in his essay, The Weight of Glory. 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are half-hearted creatures. We are far too easily pleased. What we need, in other words, is a new heart. A heart that desires after God. A heart that nothing will in this world will satisfy. A heart that says, it must be you, God, who meets my needs. And that's something we can pray for. Something we should pray for and ask God for. God, um, I confess that my heart is too small. And it doesn't desire after you. It's content with the, the lesser things. Uh, I don't want to reach a number seven. I don't want to reach a completion of my joy. And so would you give me a new heart so that I'll desire after you? And God promises uh, in his covenant that he will sprinkle our hearts clean, make our hearts stone into hearts of flesh so they will begin beating towards God and desiring after him. And that's our, that's our enjoyment of Christ, whom we find in the scriptures. Now, why does this matter to us now? Why does this matter to us today? I would say more than ever before uh, during this season, during COVID-19, is when we are asking two questions. One, where can I find joy? And two, who is strong enough to provide this joy for me? Where can I find joy? Who is strong enough to provide this for me and overcome the situational crisis I find myself in? And here's the thing. Whenever we turn to um, the things around us to escape to, uh, to help us forget the crisis that we're in, that will never lift us up out of our state of unhappiness or anxiety or depression. Because the things we turn to to escape to are confined in the same situation. What we need is what the psalmist constantly asks uh, the Lord for. Lift me up out of my situation. Deliver me from my situation. Give me a promise that assures me I will not be stuck in this situation. And the ultimate situation that the psalmist cried out against that wanted to be delivered out of was the valley of the shadow of death. It's the problem of death. And, and again, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the problem underneath COVID-19, the deeper problem is our mortality, uh, our, our decaying, our dying, our finitude. And we need to understand uh, that is the greatest robber of joy. Nothing takes away our joy uh, like death without the promise of life. And this is what... God shows us in the scriptures. Here we find in verse 13, uh, here's what God revealed to the psalmist. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? God is going to make our enemies, including sin, the devil, and death itself, his footstool. He is going to be above all of it. He's going to be above the situational crisis that humanity has faced ever since Genesis 3 until now. That death is the wages of sin and it comes to us all. He will make our enemies a footstool for his feet, the feet of Christ. 
And we see that happening through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has conquered sin and death and all of his enemies. And if we are on his side, if we put our faith in him, he will lift us up out of that situational crisis. He will lift us up out of our, our ultimate problem, and that is death, and that is the, the end of our joys. We need to know this now, and our children need to know this now more than ever before. Now is not a time to distract ourselves by escaping to worldly angels, the things that, um, that can captivate us for a little while, for a little moment. This is a time to look to Jesus, who can lift us up, truly lift us up from the grave, from death itself. Do you know that? Do your children know that? Are you looking to Jesus for that? You, as God's covenant people, you and your children, are you safe in this knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Parents, are you praying, covering them with your prayers so that God would keep them, even though they cannot profess the Lord with their own lips now, that God will hold fast to them because he's blessed them with your prayers. He's blessed them with with you, uh, instructing them with God's word and, and sharing the gospel with them. Are you praying for them so that they will be kept safe in the gospel of Christ so that their enemies will not get to them just as your enemies cannot get to you? Jesus alone, no angel is above this situation. Jesus alone is above the situation and can lift us up from it. And so we need to look to him for this and not no, no pastor, no spouse, no government, no president can help us from this ultimate problem of sin and death. Only Christ. And therefore we should look to him. I hope that this will bring us to see Jesus as this conquering king who defeats our enemies and and assures us of his protection and his provision. Uh, I think a lot of Christians are really uh, readily able to see Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is a gracious uh, Savior who forgives us our sins whenever we turn to him. He is the Lamb of God, gentle and lowly and humble. And that's true. But you have to understand, the Bible presents us with another side of Jesus that's also true and equally true, and that is he is the Lion of Judah. He's a conquering king. He is a fierce warrior. He destroys his enemies and makes them his footstool. Is he your king? Is he your protector? Have you surrendered to him? Are you worshiping him? And are you enjoying his superiority to all things. That is where you will find your completion of your joy. That is where you will find the assurance that you need now in this season for you and your family to be kept safe in the promises of God and the gospel. So turn to him today. Find your rest in him. Press into the Sabbath that he promises you in Jesus Christ and fall at his throne and worship him like the angels, and be impressed with him. Be in awe of him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, who is above all things, who is able to lift us up uh, above the, the problems we face and the crisis we face. 
But Lord, we, we thank you that you've called us not to focus on how to resolve the problems, but to focus on Christ who overcame it all. So that even in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, we can still have assurance and peace and joy, joy complete. Um, and although we may not see you, uh, you call us to live by our faith in you who, who did walk the earth, who did live, who did die, who did rise again from dead and ascend into the heavens and who promises to return again, to put our faith in him and his words. So help us to open up your word today and draw near to your word today and find our rest there. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.